Welcome to 12 Questions. Hi, this is Anna Valenzuela, and I'm without Dave today. Ooh, while the Dave's away, the Annas will probably ask the questions in the wrong order. Um, I'm very excited to be here today because we have a very special guest. In the grand tradition of 12 Questions, it's weird to interview your own partner because they're such intimate questions. And it might, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't want to wreck any relations, you know what I mean? I don't want to do that. So we have a very special guest today. Before we get into that, I realized I don't actually have a copy of our preamble, so I'm just going to free ball it. So if you're listening to 12 questions, guys, um, we are not affiliated with any 12-step organization like AA, NA, Al-Anon, whatever. We're not affiliated with any of those organizations. We, uh, You do not have to be a clean and sober person to listen to this podcast, nor do you have to be one to be on this podcast. We're just asking questions from the recovery perspective. And um, we hope you get something out of this, especially in these very challenging times. This is a very positive thing to listen to. So if you're listening right now, you have anybody who's struggling, please get in, listen to this 12 questions. And I'm very excited to, uh, to have our guest introduce herself. Who are we speaking with today? Hi, I'm Katie Willard. Katie Willard! <laughs> you probably know her from it, from Twitter. This woman has got a mad Twitter following. You have a Twitter following most comedians would give their left titty to get. I'm very lucky. I, I worked, I was on a show on crack.com for seven years uh, called After Hours. And so, I mean, I've been on Twitter since April of 2008. So I've been on Twitter for a, for too long, uh, and just slowly over the years, you know, folks from cracked and, and, you know, people in the internet kind of started following me. And now I make jokes about crying in the Pete's coffee because, uh, miss, Mr. Jones by, uh, County Crows came on and, uh, it made me tear up <laughs> in the Pete's coffee today. I was just like, uh, Oh, I'm not young anymore. That was what my brain, I'll never be a child again, was what my brain was like processing. That, that is very real. Uh, at the height of my using, when I was about 13, 14 years old, I used to get ready in the morning living in a mountain town in uh, Arizona, brief period living there. And um, Counting Crows would come on and like Train would come on the radio, like the same four sad ass songs that best describe Cottonwood, Arizona, like all would come on at once and I put on my eyeliner. And so I also have a special connection to that, to that song. I'm like, Oh, for me, it's like, Mr. Jones makes me think of the Togos in uh, mission Valley in San Diego. And like being in the car with my, in my dad's like Ford escort, like going to Togos to get a sandwich when I was like a kid. And then like the song that played right after that, when I was picking up my coffee was, uh, uh, human by, uh, by the killers. The one, are we human or are we dancer? Which then yeah. made me think of college. And I was like, I'm, I'm in my thirties. And then right after that was a song by Keen. And I was like, time is hurtling for, <laughs> I had like an existential crisis in the Pete's coffee this morning. It's fine. Everything's fine. Whoever picked that playlist, because you know they gotta they gotta pick their little like music that day. They were like, oh, I'm gonna go with this one. They were probably also having a bad day. I mean, they just wanted to get sad nostalgic. And I appreciate that. Because every once in a while we need to get sad nostalgic. 
Can I tell you Pete's Coffee is the reason why I've I've never worked a food service job since. And it's not because I don't love them. Like they were a pretty great company. I um I was the fastest stock closer they had ever seen in their lives. I'm like meetings have prepared me to clean up everything in a very quick way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you gotta get out of that church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are two things that happened there that were really funny. One morning I tripped holding my dr- my cash register and I broke it in half. Like the like the plastic tray broke in half. <laughs> Just they were cash like, everywhere. There's money everywhere. They were like, what is this? How did you do this? I'm like, it's four in the morning. That's how I did it. And and a second time, about the same month, I, I this was the beginning of the end. I once, um, they have these huge coffee urns. And I, I had this big, you, what you do is you just pour this like incredibly hot coffee or water into the coffee grounds. It's huge. And when they're moving quick, you flip it when it's done and cooled. You flip it into the trash can. I thought it was done. And I flipped boiling hot coffee grounds all over my body and got like second degree burns on my titties. <laughs> Immediately went into shock. Had oh my to, God. Had to go to the I had to go to the emergency room and it was very funny because I had to like flash the ER doctor girls gone wild (laughs) style while he put ointment on my tits and he's giggling and I'm giggling. It was very stupid. (laughs) It was a very, they were like, this girl is too much of a liability. We can't, we can't do this. I know they almost gave me Freddy Krueger titties. It was really bad. It was, (laughs) it was, yeah. So I, uh, food service, uh, for somebody with uh, raging ADHD can, be uh, a real a real clusterfuck, but I can sell a lot of coffee and I can clean your store very quickly. <laughs> yeah, wipe it down, wipe it down, wipe it down, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh, <laughs> how is this? Before we get into this, how is this quarantine COVID treating you? How, how have you been? I mean, I'm all right. I I was employed for most of this quarantine, um, which was such a blessing and I was so grateful for it. And then, uh, and then like a month ago, three weeks ago, I got laid off. Um, RIP that company. I know RIP that company. Um, and the thing is, is like, I don't know. I, I, and I, I mean, I think with the questions in the, in the, yeah. you know, th- that will be answered kind of touch on this, but like, it's very much like I am not in control. That's yeah. what COVID has done for me is really kind of lessened any illusion that I still had of the control that I have, you know, cause I've given turned over a lot of stuff, yeah. but I think part of me still felt like I had some some say in things when like, yeah, literally every, I am powerless over the world outside. I'm powerless over people, places and things. I'm powerless over the way our current administration is handling things. I'm powerless. Like I am so aware every single day of how powerless I am. (laughs) Like it's a little freeing. I mean, it still sucks, but like, I don't know. I've got, I've done a lot of stuff in this time. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for, you know, it's made me be quiet. And, you know, my mom, she she was like, I've never seen you this chill Mm. before. And that also made me realize, like, I don't think I like working with people. (laughs) 
like I like being able to like go out and interact with people on my own terms. But like, I don't know if I necessarily want to work in an environment where I'm like working closely with other people in that way. Like, I just don't, I, cause I, I, you know, working kind of remotely has been a nice, Mm -hmm. I have my own space and, you know, we only talk when we need to talk and, and, you know, it's been, that part's been nice. I mean, all in all, it's a net positive, I think just for me personally, but I know that that I am incredibly lucky and blessed that that's the case and that that's not the case for everybody. But I mean, it's taken a toll. I hate that. Like I can't see and hug. I'm a big hugger, Mm. you know, and like, I'm, I am a big physical closeness person. And so to not have that is very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Sames. Sames. How how else are you experiencing surrender? Like either now or in the past, like what else is your experience of surrender? That was such a beautiful answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really just for me, every time that I have just taken the leap doing anything, Mm -hmm. the net has appeared. Right. And it's not that it's like, my God has a cape and like zooms in and like, you know, whatever. But it's just that no matter, I, I think part of my journey in sobriety at this point, I'm almost eight years sober is like, I, I feel like as long as my intentions are good with the actions that I take, there is no wrong direction, right? There's no wrong choice Mm -hmm. because I had such a problem with, Taking my third step was very interesting because I'm super type A, I'm self-will run riot. Like if I want something, I can get it and I will put in all my, you know, energy Mm -hmm. to, to make it happen. And, you know, I ran on that prior to getting sober. And like when I took my third step, I swung way in the opposite direction where I was like, I can't tell if this is God, God's will or my will. I can't, I can't, I don't know. And then I would just like, be paralyzed into an action. Like I literally couldn't make a decision because I was so afraid that I wasn't doing yeah. God's will. I was doing yeah. my will. And so like that was around year two, three. And then in the last couple of years, it's kind of like knocked its way back into the middle, which is like, it's a, it's a partnership between God and I, right? Like if I trust that my higher power is going to just kind of like settle everything. I just have to take the action to do the things, you know, and as long as my intentions are good and I'm taking care of myself in sobriety, then my decisions won't be too terribly wackadoo. Like I can't make them. I can't, the only mistake I can make is like drinking and using right now, you know, basically. Yeah. Or like murdering someone. Yeah. Or like, like, like licking park benches or something would probably be a bad plan. You know, what's been, in that journey, what's been like your most insane moment? Okay. Um, I'm trying to think in my journey of sobriety, I always think of my like last big drunk because I, I stopped drinking August 12th, 2012, but I didn't get sober, sober until uh, off of drugs as well until January 13th, 2013. Mm. And what had happened was I like I don't know my so I grew up in the in the rooms um mm-hmm. and, and me too hey, hey. <laughs> and so for me like AA wasn't 
like a bad place or a scary place. AA was where all the people that I loved in my life that were like my, my parents' friends were all from AA and they all did amazing things and they were all fun people. So like the thought of going to AA was for me, never like a bad thing. <clears throat> and I know a lot of people have a different experience. So, uh, you know, to each his own, but for me, it was just like, meh. And my mom was always very cool about like, okay, a lot of alcoholism, like alcoholism runs through both sides of our family. You might be an alcoholic. You also might not be an alcoholic, but just look out for it. And I'm, and I appreciate that because it didn't mm -hmm. condemn me to like this fulfill, you know, self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy of, of, you know, getting fucked up. Um, but on, in, in August of that month or that year of 2012, I had gone to see the divine fits in concert, which is a nice. band uh, with uh, Brit Daniel of spoon and like a bunch of other, you know, indie uh, musicians. And I was so excited and I went by myself and I went to the bar and I went to get a beer <clears throat> and the, the woman at the, at the bar was like, Oh, do you know if you get, I was like, what do you have on tap? And she was like, we have this, this, and this, Oh, we also have a uh, La Fine du Monde between the end of the world. And it's like a beer. She's like, it's got the alcohol content of two beers. And I was like, well, that yeah. I want that one. Like I would yeah. rather pay for two beers in one than pay for two beers. And so I drank a couple of those and I started browning out. And then I was like browned out during the concert. And I was just, I mean, I think about it now and I, I have a lot of compassion for that, Katie, but I was like in love with Britt Daniel. So I was like, I'm so sexy. I'm like dancing. I'm in the front. I have my hands on the stage. Like I'm feeling myself and I'm like, he's into me. And then I remember going to the bathroom and then waking up the next day on my birthday um, and having the worst hangover. I mean, I felt like my head was under a rock and I had to go do a show, a sketch show. And I went to the tech and <clears throat> I was just could not remember any of my lines for this one sketch. My brain was like a sieve. It just was like, I couldn't remember anything. Mm -hmm. And the, the woman who was directing the show took me aside and she goes, Hey Katie, I hate to have to ask you to do this, but I think you should use note cards for your, you know, for your lines. And for me, that was the first time my, my alcoholism, I think really kind of affected my career, which was what was super important to me at the time. And I was like, it can fuck up. I don't care if it fucks up my relationships. I don't care if it fucks up my money, but once it fucked, like started, there was an effect on my career. I was like, Oh no. And that was when I decided to like, take a break from drinking, but I still mm -hmm. hadn't identified as an alcoholic. Things had just gotten out of hand. So for me, like all of the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that had happened up until that point was pretty fairly private. Mm. And so to finally, like for me to drive home in a blackout, have like a terrible, ex terrible hangover on my birthday and then have, have it finally like fuck with my career I was like, this is, a, this might be a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that for me is like kind of the insidiousness of alcoholism is like every person's cross line is very different. Mm -hmm. And that happened to be mine. Um, and then I ended up looking at my photos from the concert the next day. And um, 
there's a photo and I save it. I saved it in my phone to, to remind myself why I don't drink. And it's a photo of Britt Daniel and he's, he's kneeling down to like fix his pedals and he's looking directly into the camera with this look of just like disgust, you know, like, mm-hmm. please just go home. Cause I was fucking it up for, I was that girl at the concert that was like fucking it up for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep it. I keep that photo because I just don't ever want to get back to that place again. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I love what you said about that line is different for everybody. You know, like it's like, I knew by, I think by like 15 years old, I knew that something was wrong with the way that I was drinking and using. And then I tried to figure it out for a long time. But it's like once that line has been crossed, you're like, ah, damn it. Damn. Did you find that the experience of growing up in the rooms really ruined that high for you? Really ruined 100%. Mm -hmm. I think because, so for me, I like, I grew up in the rooms, like single mom brought me to meetings. Mm -hmm. I was the kid that was getting the cake at the birth, you know, sitting reading, Mm -hmm. playing out in front, you know, so coloring under the the fog of smoke from the (laughs) 80s meetings. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I think just I do think from osmosis, like I think I I very much absorbed a lot of the phrasing and the words in a way that like, when I I didn't drink until I was 19, specifically because Mm. that, you know, alcoholism was such a, a prevalent thing in my family. And the first time I took a drink, I was at, and I remember it very specifically, I was at uh, an improv party. Um, and my friend Nick Sarantz had made margaritas, um, blended margaritas, and they weren't, he was serving them. They only had little tiny styrofoam cups. And he poured a cup. And I remember looking at the cup and being like, I don't want to be afraid of you. I don't want to be afraid. Like, I don't want to spend my entire life not knowing whether I'm an alcoholic or not an alcoholic, you know? Mm. And so I'm like, okay. So I drank a little bit and then ate some Doritos and then drank a little bit and ate some Doritos because I didn't, I was so, I didn't want to get drunk. I didn't want to be out of control. I didn't want to throw up. I hated throwing up at the time. I got very used to it once I started drinking. Yeah. 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 yeah, Hardcore. (laughs) Really and, good at um, puking. <laughs> yeah, I was. That was like the end of every night. Was just like puke and then pass out. Um, exactly. And I and and I and then I finished that cup and I you know we were playing poker and then I and then I had him pour me another one but I it was done halfway through and I was like this is great maybe I'm not an alcoholic because I thought like the moment the if you were an alcoholic the moment the alcohol touched your lips you were like done and some people that's the case yeah. but it wasn't for me. But what I realize now in retrospect is that I was having the experience of a relapse in alcohol of someone who's an Alcoholics Anonymous without ever having being sober, because I had the concept of if you're not sure, you should go out and and try some recreational drinking in my head. Right. Uh, Even though I had never taken a drink, you know, so that I mean. I've never it's, heard it phrased that way, but you pretty much captured it. That's, I mean, that's, that's exactly what I felt. I was like, I just remember drinking that 40, you know, like a 13 year old does drinking a 40 and like housing it and thinking, oh, this works. <laughs> 
oh, this is the solution. Oh, this is oh. the solution. This isn't the problem. This is the solution. This is a, oh, wow. We found the answer. <laughs> yeah. But and, you know, it It was weird because, like, from the beginning, the first, from that first drink, I controlled and managed. This is only yeah. something I really realized doing the work. But, like, because everybody in my family was an alcoholic, like, I was hyper aware of how much I drank through college because mm -hmm. I was like, I am not going to become a drunk and fail out of college. Like I'm going to, I am, I am, I have control over this. And then once I moved to LA, it was like, I was in another city. <laughs> I had my own bank account, you know, and, and I was 21 and it was on, you know, Wow. I had arrived as Bill says. <laughs> I love it. You talked about the third step and decision-making in the past and how you've struggled with it, which I totally relate to. I couldn't even order in a restaurant. I'd be like, if the what is God's will? Exactly. I'd be like, if the cop Sally got in a fight with the burger, which one would win? And all my friends would be like, shut up. Um, what is like, what's your decision-making like, you know, now or more more in terms of like what's your process of it right now i mean honestly it's a lot of do some research talk about uh you know possible decisions with another person and most people in my circle are are in recovery so you know it's a you know a pretty even keeled group of folks mm -hmm. um and then I just say, let thy will not mind be done and make the decision. Because I can't, because if you say, let thy will not mind be done and then do something, whatever ends up happening is like, oh, that was supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of become my way of, of doing things. And also just like understanding what my part of the deal is with my higher power, because like God has shown up for me in ways that I could not imagine my higher power has. And like, uh, it's my job to stay sober and to do his work well. I is which is a quote. I just I don't my my higher power doesn't have a gender, but whatever. It's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the thing yeah. that like I'm the one who's who takes the action with the like with this push for my higher power. So that's kind of become what the relationship yeah. is. I understand my power in the the relationship. Yeah, and it's hard when you really want something. It's really hard not to order off the menu, you know, mm. and to be like, well, I would like that. And can I just please come on, God, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I love that reminder of just staying in the, you know, just doing the work and trying to stay out of the results, which especially in our industry is so important. It's come up on this podcast. You want to, you want to feel what real powerlessness is. Try to work in the entertainment industry. It's a shit show. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, I think that's part of it is because I've had the experience that I've had mm -hmm. in sobriety, in my career with everything. It, as time goes on, it gets easier and easier. It's not easy, but it gets easier to kind of make those leaps because I have the past experience of yeah. things kind of like sorting themselves. Everything is sorting itself out. And yeah. like, you know, I think about, when I moved to LA and I was drinking, I was like, I'm going to be an actor. I was like, Bleh. and I like <laughs> worked a million different day jobs and like refused to take a full-time job because I was like, I need to be able to audition. Meanwhile, not getting any auditions. Um, sure. And I was broke and I was overdrafting and I was drunk. And then I got sober 
and things were better, but like I was still not financially self-supporting and I was still working a million, you know, odd jobs. And then I had an experience where I was engaged and then that engagement, I ended the engagement in sobriety and I was on my own. And, you know, that thing flipped in my head of like, okay, now's time to be financially self-supporting. Like we can't keep counting on other people to Mm -hmm. like, you are a single unit and you are going to like do the work. So I finally got a full-time job as a copy editor because a friend had reached out to me months prior about getting, about applying for this job. And I was like, I can't have a full-time job because I'm an actor. And if I don't, and if I have all my time taken up by work, I won't be able to audition. No auditions. (laughs) I was having no auditions, but finally I was just like, Hey, Joey, is that, you know, are you guys hiring? And he said, yeah. And I turned in a thing. So I had health insurance and I had a paycheck and I moved into an apartment and you know, that job had a bunch of layoffs and like, I was just, I, I just kind of, you know, showed up and did the work and did the work. And, and part of me was like, I feel like this isn't the right place for me anymore. Um, because people kept getting laid off and, and mm. all this stuff. And, it's a and I, reality. Corporate America. I mean, it's not as hell. Why are you doing this to people? <laughs> I mean, it's bad. It's bad. Um, and so you know, I kept going like, God, am I just being a little bitch? Do I need to just like suck it up and do this? Or is this really like, give me a sign? And I always, you know, a lot of my prayers were like, just let me know. Can you just let me know what the thing, what I need to do? And I got an email from them the night before we were supposed to be paid being like, we don't have enough money to fulfill payroll this week. No, Um, Mm -hmm. We'll hopefully have it by Monday. Um, Thank you so much for your patience. And I was like, Bitch, you have nine employees. I'm like, if you don't have enough liquidity for payroll this week, you will not have it in two weeks. No. That's just not possible. And I go, and I'm I'm not working for free, especially not with this job. Yeah. So I put in my two weeks because I asked God for a sign and God gave me a sign. Yeah, that's clear. Um, and, you know, I, I started kind of pounding the pavement in my last couple of weeks and, you know, was sending out resumes and doing that thing in my my friend Erin had emailed me about being on her podcast and that little still small voice inside went, ask her, you know, ask her if, if her job is hiring. I knew she worked in an office. That was literally all I knew, but I was Whoa. just like, Hey, Erin, um, is your, are you hiring? You know, is your, is your boss hiring? And she goes, let me ask. And she goes, send, uh, he is, you know, like send me your resume. And I was like, great. And then I got an interview Whoa. And then I asked Aaron, what's the position? <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what the position was. And she was like, segment producer. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. And then I Googled segment producer. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't, I, you know, I'm sure you know this, but the, a, pro, a producerial position changes from project to project. Right. So, you know, you really, there's no definition for what that is, but a lot of the things And it seemed like things that I had done in the past. And I talked to a friend in the rooms who is a producer. And I said, hi, I have an, I have a, it's almost said audition. I have an interview for this position as a segment producer. What do segments producers do? And he goes, normally they do like X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, I've done all this stuff. Cause in all of my sketch stuff and all of my comedy Mm -hmm. things, like I had produced, you know, I produced sketches for Rachel Bloom years ago for cracked, you know, like 
I did these things, but I just didn't know the title. And, you know, I went into the interview and said, love, I will not mind be done. And I just spoke as myself with my experience and I got hired. Um, and I got hired to start right after Thanksgiving. And at this point it was like the end of October, 2016. Mm-hmm. And the pay was, I made in a week what I made in a month. Nice at the old job. And I miss her. I thought I had misheard him. And then, and then, so I got to like leave the job on my own terms. I wrote thank you cards for everyone. I shook the CEO's hand. I walked out. Election day is on Tuesday of the next week. I'm sitting with my mom. We're watching Donald Trump win the presidency. And then all these Facebook chats start coming up with people from my job being like, can you get into your work email? And then people were like, no, I can't get into my work. You know, I can't either. I can't either. And then they they all got laid off on election night, 2016. Meanwhile, I had literally my last day was the Friday. Hold and on. I- what? <laughs> Hold on. What a dick ass move. I mean, they they were business cousins was what we called them. It was just like a bunch of bros who figured out this one loophole in content production made so much money, had no idea what they were doing. None of them had backgrounds in like management or like human relations or like owning a business. Or just decency. Who does that? Who does that? It was, on a it contentious, was fun. A I didn't even, I didn't even make myself take a shower this election. I was just like, I'm going to make soup. That was it. I yes. made soup. <laughs> I shaved my head in the morning and didn't look at the news until the next morning. Yes. I was like, this is, this is what we're doing today. Yeah. But like that sort of thing of being literally carried, just saying like, okay. And like just doing the next indicated action and then to be delivered so beautifully into this new position where I was at for four years, you know, and that like, I couldn't have imagined that. Yeah. You know, and that's been really easy for me to like, kind of let go of my little plans you know, and ideas is because every time, like, I just, Scott, everything turns out like way better yeah. than, you know, way more holistically better than yeah. I could have imagined if it was like, I have this very specific idea and I'm going to like, yeah. Can you imagine if I was still like, I'm an actor, I can't work a full-time job. I don't think I would be in an apartment that I live in alone, a one bedroom that I, wow. you know, like live in by myself. Wow. I don't think I would you know, be able to like show up for people in my life because I'd be so stressed and upset. I mean, COVID, like imagining what COVID would be like if I was still, you know, a Postmate. That like, that was part of what I did. And like what this, what this time right now would be like if I was, hadn't Mm. just let go of that, you know, that version of myself. Oh, but you would be so essential. So essential. And just like me, every time I order something, 30%, 30% tip, 30% tip, 30% tip. I'm like, fucking guys, like, because I cannot tell you how many times I would deliver something in there and get no tip. And I'd be like, are you, but like, if you're ordering Postmates and you can't afford to pay a tip, don't order Postmates. Yeah. Walk your ass down there. That's, I mean. Go. Go. It's not, it's not, it's not fair. I know. I know. Even when I get, cause I'm pretty good about like, I like to do the grocery order where they bring it out to your car 
And mm-hmm. I still, even though they're not supposed to take money, I'm still just like, like hi, baby. Like, cause I know, I know what it's like. Like it was, I've, I worked in grocery was my very first job. And like, without that job, I would have been in a lot of trouble. Cause like my dad died and my mom was in prison. <laughs> and so like, so I you needed that stability of that employment. I did. And when somebody yep. would hand me $2 for carrying their water softener salt out to their car, I'd be like, Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's like the thing that I think I have such gratitude for every fucking job I had before I started producing Mm -hmm. professionally because every job taught me so much and, and allows me to have empathy for those people who are working those same jobs now. But I think like, if you've never worked in a service position, you just will never understand. I can walk into a comedy club look around at all of the comics and the staff and know who's had a job ass job in their life and who has only done that. Mm -hmm. And I just can tell, I can smell it on them. I can smell the privilege, the, the, the entitlement. I'm like, "Ah." you're like, God damn it. Yeah. You're you're the owed, owed entitlement. Yes. My, um, my uh, homeboy in the program who you would adore, adore. He's fantastic. He's my gay husband. He's a delightful. He's the best. He's, he's co-hosted this podcast briefly. His name is Jared. He's a delight. He one time <laughs> took me um, to, a, he had like a, uh, it was around my birthday and he had a, um, like a uh, uh, thing he had to go to for business. He's, uh, he, he, he moves money for important people in LA. And, um, <laughs> So we're in Vegas and we're at the Four Seasons in the Mandalay Bay and he got me my own suite and he comes into the room and I'm cleaning the suite. And he said, what are you fucking doing? And I was like, there's just like, there's room service there. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just, I didn't know how to experience luxury and mm-hmm. how to be like a pig around it. I was just like, well, I don't want to ruin the room. And he's like, Anna. <laughs> I can't tell you like how often I keep tags on things and things like hung, like things that I buy, I just keep them boxed because I'm like, like I'm on my, I'm on an iPad right now mm-hmm. and I bought this iPad pro a month ago. Um, and it literally, like I kept it in, I kept it and the Apple pencil and my AirPods in the bag in my bedroom for like two days until I got the case in the mail. Cause yes. I was like, I'm not, fucking around guys like this is an investment like I can't I don't know how to have this like I remember Mm. I think Matthew Perry posted a photo on Instagram he's like I love strawberry quick and it's like a glass of strawberry milk but it's literally sitting on his MacBook Air on a coffee table he like used his MacBook Air as a coaster and god bless him I don't have anything against him but I was just like what like I can't even imagine like Having this Pepsi on the table next to my iPad is already like stressing me out. Like I keep my Nalgene of water on another table because I'm like, if if my cat knocked it over, like what would I do? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. We could thrift together and like really, yeah. really value that experience. It's like, Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. What's been the most interesting thing that you've learned about yourself in your journey? Ooh. Hmm. 
that I, 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 I quote my best friend, Caroline, friend of the pod. I have a gift for her, by the way. I have some amazing. B- I have some BTS swag that was pilfered by my roommate when she worked like a pop up for BTS, like this company, this production company. So I have some swag for her. Okay, you know what? Maybe we offline we coordinate, we coordinate. a pickup, and I can go take it to her. I think that would make her day. <laughs> She'll lose her mind. Yeah, it's really it's it's pretty it's pretty cool actually. I was like, she was get, she was uh, getting rid of it because she had sold a bunch of it, and I was yeah. like. Can I like take a couple of these things? Cause somebody will cry when she gets it. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so excited. I'll, you know what? Let's do this today. If you're available, yes. I'll come by, I'll pick it up. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> but something that she had said in kind of in her journey or shared in her journey through like weightlifting is like, I am God's perfect creation. Mm-hmm. And like, I take, for me, it's like, a lot of things had to happen for me to be sitting here right now. Like a multitude of very specific interactions and things had to occur for me to be here as I am. And that is like a miracle, like literally the, 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 of all the different realities I happen to be here. And so like, I think for a long time in my drinking and also in my recovery is like, I am wrong. Something about how I am, what I like, what I like to do, how I look, those things about me are fundamentally wrong. And uh, only through doing the work in, in the program have I been able to like see why I feel that way or what the fears are behind it and like turn some of that stuff over. And it hasn't all been turned over, but like when I want to like, like when I enjoy something and like something and want to do something, I do it. And I'm, you know, I shaved my head in August because I just like saw a video on YouTube of like hairdresser reacts to, you know, women shaving their heads. And I went, Oh yeah, I got to do that. Yeah, and it wasn't like a sad thing. It wasn't like a I'm having a mental breakdown thing. I just like ah yeah, I gotta shave my head. I wanna I wanna you know yeah be a bald bald bitch and like you know same with I applied for you know I've been doing classes at Santa Monica College, which I highly recommend because they're all digital. Nice because of COVID. So like my mom's taking classes from San Diego at SMC. You know, I'm taking art classes and like, I just started like the wheels going on a, you know, a business where I get to like sell my art to people. And, and, oh, I love that. but like, I'm doing one of my biggest character defects was not letting my light shine as brightly as God intended, dim in my shine. And, uh, I just don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. So that's been the thing, this, this new, you know, cause kind of. I believe like kind of spiritually everything, seven year cycles, right? Like our whole body regenerates in seven, mm-hmm. you know, by the time seven years is up, every cell in your body is a, has been regenerated as a different yeah. cell. So I just, you know, from seven to now, so nine, no, 11 months, it's been a new, completely new situation. Like I just feel like a kind of a different version of myself and, this version is truer to like who I am. And I also think turning 30, I'm 32. 
But I think that turning 30 kind of you, you just give less of a shit. I don't give, I don't give a shit what people think about me. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think I'm just excited to be 30 and like not have to worry about getting on, getting on an under 30 list, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, like that pressure. I I got to 30, the more I felt like a failure for not being on some fucking list of like, you know, people under 30. There needs to be a bunch of people. There needs to be a list where it's like nine boss ass bitches over 35. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what I need. I need the over 35 list. Um, The, uh, that's, that's amazing. I, I've had those moments. Here's, here's what I can tell you is. I had where you're experiencing, especially around 30, it's that not to sound too woo woo. It's that like Saturn return shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like such a bump. It's so nice to get to that. But in like that 30 through 33, Oh, what a beautiful time. (laughs) I think, I think that was the hottest I'd ever been. Like it was just like the whole, like, like I was the cutest I'd ever been and the most confident I'd ever been. I was, Oh my God, I was single and playing the field. Like I was like, I was Don Draper. Like I was living, you know? (laughs) And, um, and, and it's so interesting as the, um, the, uh, the, some of the self-doubt has come back because I evolved in that time, that was like the period of evolution and growth and taking chances and, you know, becoming the person that I am today. And now the self-doubt has creeped in with some of that. And so working through that and getting back to that self-acceptance, like I'm so horny for the feeling of like, I, I don't give a fuck. Like, and I keep like, my roommate's really awesome because she is not an addict and she doesn't have any of that. Like, so she'll just be like, somebody will do something and she'll just be like, whatever, I'm awesome. It's their fucking loss. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> How do that? Like, you're really one of those Brene Brown wholehearted people. I didn't think they were real. <laughs> so so it's um it's incredible. Like it's incredible to have that feeling. I'm so happy for you. And I know I'm gonna get back to it. Oh no, I'm gonna get yeah, back to it. It's yeah. a, there's a lot of affirmations of like, no, you're a bad bitch, and they they missed out on your life. You know what I mean? Well, but also like we're stuck inside and there's a pandemic and we've been under a terrible presidency for the last four years. So like that'll fuck anyone's mojo up. I you know what so. I mean? Yeah, my sponsor's <laughs> always like, maybe we're experiencing a global trauma. Like maybe maybe it's just that much harder to experience life on life's terms right now. And some days are going to be good and some days are going to be bad. Yeah. You got to be okay with as that. As long as you don't drink or use, we're good. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, it poor, just. Poor Dave's been riding the wave of my like, cause I've had some real COVID lows and then some like really productive moments that I got back down. He's no consistency, <laughs> no middle ground. Yeah. Just yeah, either great or fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he said to deal with this person who's like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do this. And then like the person who's just like, okay, we're going to record today and uh, it's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so God bless uh, Dave and his, um, and his beautiful patience and tolerance. I, um, ah, okay. What? is your level of honesty in your life? Uh, I am, uh, I'm very honest. 
and because I was not honest at all before. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I'm honest to the point where if I'm about to text, I'm on my way. When I'm not, I stop myself and I and I Ooh. because I don't do the big lies anymore. You know, that got taken away pretty quick once I got honest and got sober. Yeah. But like I would little white lie it and it that is constant, not constant, but like pretty you know, pretty repetitive contrary action of being like, am I telling the whole truth right now? Cause like if I tell enough white lies, I'm gonna drink again. And I think also part of that comes from like I was one of those alcoholics who had so many plates spinning. Mm-hmm. Like I was a chronic cheater when I was drinking and not even for like, it wasn't like I had like a, a you know, an affair. It was just like in the, in the really bad, the end of my drinking, I was with this partner who also probably, you know, has a problem and, you know, was just super toxic. And I just, I had to try and fill that void. And so I would just like, just sleep with, get drunk and sleep with people one-offs, right? Just like I would get my sights on someone and I would, you know, go do it. And like, and then he would like read my phone and read my journal, you know, my morning pages because I was doing like trying to trying to get some sort of spiritual fulfillment. <laughs> yeah. And he would read he would read my journals, he would read my phone, and then he would know, but he wouldn't break up with me. And I think that was so that he could have the power of being like, I've stayed with you even though you're unfaithful. And then I was like, I need to stay in this relationship because I'm a piece of shit that doesn't deserve any better. So it was just like I would just I, you know, I I would just it was just so, I was so exhausted by the time I got sober of like having all the plates spinning and having to keep all the truth straight and having to like take my, my notifications for texts off my, like from flashing on my home screen, you know, because I didn't want him to see that I was texting someone else, like shit like that. And, you know, that ended when I got sober, you know, I don't, I I don't cheat on people. (laughs) Like it doesn't, it's like, Mm -hmm. why, just break up with a person if you're not happy, you know, like whatever. Um, but that sort of thing of like little white lies add up to the big lies. Mm-hmm. You know, once you allow yourself to like, it's okay to little white lie about this, then the next time a little bit bigger of a lie comes up, at least for me, like I, I don't want it to ever get back to the place where I'm like hiding entire parts of my yeah. life yeah. from other people. You know, no one knew the whole story. Everybody knew parts of the story. Yeah. And I can say now, and as a sober woman, it's like everybody pretty much knows everything just because I don't know, I don't have anything to hide at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I it's like a very consistent practice of being, you know, radically honest with others and myself. You're blowing me away with the on my way thing. That is, I I realized it was so funny. You said that and I was like, I got to start doing that. And then I was like, Ooh, you know what? I'll just text instead pre on my way, like almost on my way. Like, <laughs> like mean, technically it is the truth, right? Like, I, yeah. I'm like, not on my way yet. I'm, I'm not on my way yet, her. but like, we're getting there. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, I have one shoe on. I, uh, 
But I, I really love that. And I love how you describe the exhaustion. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this and you're not a 12-step human, which we welcome you, but there's probably a lot of mental space devoted to keeping your story straight in a lot of different areas of your life. With addicts, it's that much more extreme because we're lying that much more. And so when we... um when we're, when we stop doing that, our brains, it's like an immediate exhale. It's like, oh, whoa, I have all this space to think and to dream. And in most cases for a newly clean and sober person panic. Um, But there is a lot of space to feel your feelings when you're not trying to juggle all of the versions of yourself you presented in every little niche area of the world. And like, that is that is incredibly freeing. That's incredibly freeing. And there's again, there's wholehearted people in the world that don't have that experience, you know, that just don't lie and they're just like authentic. And like again, I live with one. It's weird. I'm like, I didn't know you're like a yeah, person. I didn't know you existed. I I thought I thought that was a theory. Um, and uh, to see to see that in people is really fascinating and and something to strive for. But yeah, we're always in this search for like, how can I be a little bit more honest in my life? So I'm not so I'm not blindsiding people. You know, it's like even if the honesty is like. Hey, I'm on the emotional roller coaster and I happen to be in a dip right now. So if I'm a little out of it and a little like fucking overstretched sounding, like, you know, that's that's where I'm at, rather than people just being like, Anna, why are you fucking a puddle right now? Why are you a puddle? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you know, why are you asking? I'm fine. I'm fine. Know? Yeah, I'm no, fine. not fine. Not fine. Um but Oh, I love that. What is, you know, you've talked a lot about like fears and walking through fears. How do you experience fear and anxiety when it shows up for you? How do you experience that? So I get, I have a habit of kind of tamping down anxious feelings until I break out in a literal rash. Um, that's uh-huh. just kind of my yeah. MO from being I get a it. child. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, little, it's, a little it's hive a, here and there. Yeah. A coping mechanism mm-hmm. of like, I don't have time to be anxious. Yeah. You know, I got, I got a, I got shit to do. I got, you know, and that's definitely gotten better in, uh, in sobriety. But like, I do feel like I have a lot of anxiety around crowds. Um, and, uh, get overwhelmed very easily when there are a lot of people like at the women's March, uh, I, um, I had to pee and I couldn't find a bathroom. And I was like, I was with Caroline and I just was like, I had like a panic attack in the the middle of this group, you know, like thousands and thousands and thousands of people at the women's March downtown. And I like, couldn't, couldn't deal. I just get so overwhelmed when I don't, I can't see like a way out. And so like a lot of my anxiety manifests in that way. So that's actually gone down quite a bit in COVID because I'm not around like a bunch of people. Yeah. And I don't know for me, like getting into gratitude has been a big part of kind of moving through fears is like, it's okay to be afraid of X, Y, and Z, but what, 
is the reality right now. And then when I can walk myself through what the reality is right now, it's like for today, everything is fine. I am unemployed. Yes. You know, like it, it, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I don't have a job lined up. You know, all of these things are very anxiety inducing, but part of me feels like everything's so chaotic in one direction. Like, why can't it not be chaotic in like a good direction? Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Any any predictability kind of has been thrown out the window. So why not just like swing for the fences? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like part of why COVID has been better. I, I still get, I mean, afraid of things, but I think I have the tools in sobriety to be like, what's behind this fear? Mm-hmm. And then like really break it down and just be like, um, so I'm launching, you know, on the, the 1st of December, I'm, I'm launching this business. Right. And nice. I'm very excited. And I'm also very happy that Dave is in my life because he knows a lot of the ins and outs of like the, the back end of running a small business by yourself. You yeah. Know? Hot sauce, always got to <laughs> plug it. Um, but like I, I, I sent out a thing on Twitter being like, Hey, if you're interested, I'm doing these, these Katie kits is what I'm calling them. Uh, and it's a care package filled with like a print and some, and stickers that I've made and oh, like a magnet and just like, just art that I've made that I want other people to have and they're limited edition. And I was like, if you're interested um, just feel free to fill out this form. So I have your email and then I'll send you, you know, I'm not going to spam you, but I'll send you the the info for when it's time to sign up. Nice. And I put it out in the world and people were like super excited. And then immediately I like go on Instagram and a friend of mine, someone I like, who also happens to be like beautiful and incredibly talented and, you know, like an artist, but also a musician and a photographer. And she has cute dogs and she's just like very Nordically beautiful. Yeah. So she looks like a Pinterest board. She's a human Pinterest. Yeah. And she's a delightful person with some recovery, right? Yeah. She got an iPad pro and she was, she did an Instagram video, you know, and she was like, uh, you know, drawing and, immediately my brain goes, you're not as good as her. Mm-hmm. So like, you shouldn't even, what are you even doing? Like no one, this isn't going to work. Cause you're not, your work isn't good enough. You need to be, have been doing this longer. You need to be technically better. Like immediately, mm-hmm. like you're going to look stupid, you mm-hmm. know? And um, you're going to let people down and all that shit. And I just went like, Oh my God. Like what? At this point, I can't fight those thoughts. So I just go, okay, and then just keep going. Mm-hmm. You'll be amazed how much shit gets done when you just go like, okay, and but just do what you were going to do anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I try not to let that stuff cripple me anymore because it did for a very long time, even in sobriety. I didn't do, sh- like, didn't take mm-hmm. certain steps because I was terrified, like getting a full-time job. And when I did get a full-time job at that, as a copy editor, I had a, my manager was a standup who understood and he was like, yeah, if you need to go to an audition, go to an audition and just, you know, work an extra hour or however long you were gone later. And then like when I was producing with E, my producer or my executive producer totally understood. 
Mm-hmm. And I went on auditions all the time and it was not a big deal. And so it's like our body has fear for a reason because bears, you know, like our body, you know, it, yeah. it it's a, it, in like biologically it's there for a reason, but the, the fears that we have now, only a fraction of them are actually like valid. And most yeah. of them is just our our brain likes to stay comfy and know that we're in a comfy, safe space. And so anytime we seem we want to do something outside of that comfy, safe space, our brain is like, but no, it's not comfy out there. You know? yeah. And then wants you to wants you to stay comfy, which yeah. like cool way to go brain. But like, I can't grow, mm-hmm. you know, if I keep trying to stay comfy all the time. And, you know, my, one of my favorite phrases in the, book is it's a program that allows for limitless expansion. Yeah. And that's like I always want to be expanding. Always, always. Oh, love that. Yeah. With that being said, I oh my gosh, that that teachable free fall, the like jumping through the fear thing is kind of my happy space in recovery. It's so scary to get there, but then once you get there, you're like, I'm fine. It's like, I, it, it feels very much like skydiving. Like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening, but it's like, it's fine. You know, what's, what's so funny is like the day I literally had a conversation with God. Cause it was, you know, I was making my bed or unmaking my bed. I don't know what I was getting ready for bed. So I was like puttering around and I was just like, Hey God, I'm feeling a little disconnected in my job. I love the people I work with. I'm very grateful to be employed right now, but like it, it doesn't feel like it's clicking for me, you know, kind of in a, in a more holistic sense, like what, I, you know, let me know what I got to do and, you know, and I'll, and I'll do it. Thanks. Love you. Bye. I literally, when I end, when I end my talks to God, I like, end them like a phone call. And, um, by noon the next day, that wall street journal article came out that, I was the you. company that I worked for. It was for, you. The company that I worked for shut down. And I just was like, all right, I asked for it. You know, like I, I wanted to know. And and because of sobriety, I've saved more, you know, saved a big chunk of what I've made working. Mm-hmm. I live pretty lean. You know, I I... I have an, an opportunity and I got severance. What the nice. fuck? I've never had severance before for a couple months. And like, I'm in a position where I don't have to make a move. I don't have to like stress. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that. And I'm also very grateful for past Katie for doing the things that put future Katie in this position to be like, to be able to be still. And so like, I'm in the free fall right now of like, okay, I'm going to start this business. And I, you know, still am on my severance, but like, who knows, you know, like what's going to happen. And, um, I don't know. It's like not, you know, uh, my mom always says a lot of things can happen in 90 days. She's like, you know, take 90 days. When I, her big thing is like, whenever I want to make a decision or want to make a change, she's like, give it 90 days and, wow. and see how you feel. And it's the best thing I could, because it keeps me from making really rash decisions. Yeah. It helps me to like take the time to process and talk through things with people. But like, I'm very curious to see where, what it's going to be like in, you know, 90 days. It's going to be great. Gonna hey, be that's the hope. It's going to be different. 
if anything. Yeah. It's going to be different. I love it. I love it. What is your like defect that you're working on the most right now? <laughs> not, I would, I think it's not letting my light shine as brightly as God intended, oh, you know, yeah. like just taking every contrary action to express myself and, and be who I am on un, like unapologetically and really lean into the things that I like. And, you know, I do everyone a disservice by keeping myself small. So that's like a big one for me. I love, I love the way that you phrase that because there's so many, there's been so many years where I, not only did I not let my light shine, I made sure that I was surrounded by people that also wouldn't let my light shine. And I've become very defensive over that and very like, um, there was a point in my relationship where I had to, my partner was really struggling with negativity and I had to be like the way in which you're negative, you think it only affects you, but it really is starting to bum me out. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel bad about myself and what I'm doing. And prior to being in this relationship, I didn't really think I could lose because I had no evidence of that. And like, this is kind of making me sad, dude. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm getting to that point of still, you know, again, it, it's come and it's gone and um, getting to that point of like, nope, nope. People, places and things that also limit my shine. Yeah. Out of here, you know? Yeah. But then where I, the, the next bridge I have to cross with a big dumb troll under it is the like, okay, good. Well, why don't you just read sci-fi books and sleep all the time? How about that? Ooh, that sounds good. You know what I mean? Like you're going to call it self-care when it's really numbed out. Yes. <laughs> so practicing that balance of like, okay, I've removed the external things so the people, places and things that make me feel that way. Now, how do I, how do I clobber that bitch over the head in my, you know, the one that's in my mind that's mm-hmm. like, you know what, do the easier, softer way. That'll feel good. You know? So. I mean, it's it, that that's like kind of an odd. I've learned to have a lot of like ha- have a lot of like kindness and space for the moments when I do decide to take the easier, softer way. Like because it does vacillate for me. Of like, I okay, my closet, um, in my in my bedroom. Uh, Dave and I went to a drive uh, drive-in concert in San Francisco on Halloween. My suitcase from that is still in there with clothes still in it. Uh, I got a backpack in the mail and like some little bags there in there. And then I have, I get fluff and fold laundry and uh, my bag of clean laundry is in my, it's been there for two days and I haven't um, put it away. I just um, keep pulling things out of it to wear. Totally. And so for me, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm just not doing this right now. And then eventually I just hit a bottom where I'm just like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to do it. And then I do it. And like to know that I'm to allow myself because I'm such a pull yourself up by your bootstraps work, like power through any, you know, 
feelings you you have for like that you need rest or recuperation and just like do it and then girl so the like bootstraps will break eventually and then it's a whole new world <laughs> when you're like <gasps> well, but like that's a big thing for my my I think it was just passed down by my mom yeah. my mom just powered through you know and she's also learning to like her thing she'll go in and out of like in San Diego, she lives right around the corner from this place called Extraordinary Desserts, where they have cake um, and they have cake slices. And my mom's gone and gotten a cake slice pretty much every day uh, for the last two weeks. And then, but this happens where she'll do it and then she'll just be like, okay, that doesn't work anymore. And then yep. like, stop doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I think I reached that <clears throat> spot where it's like, okay, I've watched Criminal Minds for three hours and played solitaire. <laughs> And I took the break my brain needed. And now let's like try to do something. Yeah. Just try to do one thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it, but it's a process of like not letting it tip into that. I'm just never going to do anything because self-care. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, uh, we'll all get through it. We'll all get through <laughs> it. I, I, what it, for me, it was, I had to go for a walk. That's all it took is I was like, just go for a walk. And then I did it. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, all right, tomorrow, go for a walk. Oh, oh, there we go. A little sunshine on your skin. That's good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just keep keep doing those little things. I love your ability to lean into self-forgiveness. And that leads to our next question. Like, what is your experience of forgiveness, either internally or externally or whatever? Uh, Like such a huge phrase that has been really, really helpful for me is they did the best they could with the tools they had. Like that for me, it's like my parents did the best they could with the tools they had, you know, the, the people in my life, like I did the best I could with the tools I had. And now I have new tools, you know, like I can, I have power in this situation to like move forward and I don't have any jurisdiction or say over how others move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but really just like, we're all trying the best we, we can with the tools we have. And if I just kind of repeat that to myself, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously like you got to do, or at least for me, I have to do like, a 10 step if it gets too gnarly, you know, but Mm -hmm. like most of the time it's like, do I really, do I want to be right? Or do I want to be free? My friend Nina always says that. And, and, um, I've been right a lot, but it doesn't feel as good as being free. Right. Yeah. And like, so yeah, best they can. They're doing the best they can with the tools they have. If I'm feeling shame or guilt about how I handled something in the past, or currently doing the best I can with the tools I have, you know, and that seems to like mitigate some of those feelings and like get me closer to forgiveness, if not forgiveness entirely, you know, but it's a process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) What's been your weirdest experience with like either making amends or receiving amends or. Oh, let's see. (laughs) <laughs> my favorite was when I made an amends to my mother well, first time I did my amends and I made them to my mom. Um, I, you know, my first sponsor had me write 
you know, after we did fourth step stuff and she'd kind of keep taken, kept track and I had my harms or whatever, you know, I knew each, I knew specific shit from my mother, you know, it's a, at the time it was a 25, 26 year relationship, right? The longest relationship I've ever had was with my mother. And, and, you know, I didn't want it to just be a blanket thing. I wanted to be like, Hey, I know that this thing was super fucked up. And like, you know, so I took the time and I wrote it out and all that. And I met my mom at the Rubio's in Tustin because it was a halfway point between the two of us. Tustin. And what I love, <laughs> what I love is my sponsor was like, you contact your mother, you ask her when it's the best time for her to meet, you ask her where she wants to meet and you don't have any say in it. Like you go, you do mm. everything the way, you know, like you show up for whatever she wants. And I was like, okay. So I'm like, Hey mom, you know, I'd like to, to meet up with you and make an amends. Um, is that okay? You know, is that something you, you want to do? And she said, yeah. And I go, well, where do you want to, where would you want to meet? And she was like, well, wherever you want to meet. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. No, but like yeah. what works for you? I mean, whatever works for you. And I was like, God damn it. I was <laughs> The and nice thing have- about her being in the program is you could be like, this is what my sponsor told me. So you have to make some decisions. Sorry. <laughs> but I was just, so we met up with this Rubio's in Tustin and I like sat, I got there early and I was sitting in my car reading like the note card with the things on it, like prepped. And I sat and I made amends, my amends. And she goes, Katie in my, I mean, at the time it was like, mm, 30 years. And she's like, in my 30 years of sobriety, I have never heard such a thorough amend well, <laughs> from anyone. <laughs> and I was like, like I gave myself a pat on the Nice. Back, you know, and it's like it it that because she was my first, because she was the big one. The big you know, yeah, and like and my one. and my sponsor was like, you tackle the big hard ones first, you know. Because mm-hmm. these are the people that like you have continuing relationships with and all that. And then I made him to my dad. <laughs> we were at lunch, and he, and he like hijacked my amends to make an amends to make amends to me. So we're sitting in like this like Italian food restaurant in Oklahoma City, and you know, oh no, it was Mexican food. We're sitting having bad Mexican food in Oklahoma City, and. Um, you know, I start making my amends and then he starts making an amends to me. And I'm just like, this is so bizarre. Um, but like holistically amends, amends for me have been very interesting because I, I, the only one that I had like a net quote unquote negative experience with was the ex that I was with when Mm -hmm. I stopped drinking right at the end, the end of my Mm -hmm. drinking. And it was a thing where I called and I left a voicemail um, just saying like, hey, I, you know, I'd like to to meet up with you and talk with you if that's okay. Um, didn't hear back. A couple weeks went by. And then my sponsor was like, okay, um, if you leave a message this time, be more specific about what the reason is. You can say, you know, like I, I would like to make an amends to you. Um, and then still no response. <laughs> yeah. And then... You know, like a month after that, she said, uh, okay, we're going to write a letter and you're just going to send it. And then that's going to be that. And, um, you know, I just, when I did everything I could do, 
Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to have those sorts of amends where like you don't have the closure of someone being like, I'm just so glad you're healthy or, uh, you know, thank you for reaching out or, you know, like having a conclusion to that sort of interaction. It very much was like, this person obviously does not want to talk to me. And I totally understand why, because I was very much a piece of shit, a girlfriend and didn't do things in a kind or honest way. Mm -hmm. And like, of course he doesn't want to talk to me, but it, but it is interesting to be like, well, if he ever does reach out, I, I, I'm fully ready to make those amends to him, yeah. you know, person to person or whatever. And like, that's really taught me the lesson of like the amends isn't so much for the response. It isn't about the response of the other person. It's about the willingness to make the amends and to like move forward and do things differently. And a big thing for that was like my amends to him is being an honest partner who communicates their feelings, who is, who does not emotion have emotional affairs or actual affairs with other people, like doesn't even entertain that idea. Like, I mean, realize kind of realizing this now is like, he has had such that journey of that amends has had so much, like probably one of the biggest impacts on me <laughs> as a woman, mm. like how I move forward now, because I do not want to be, I do not want to conduct myself the way I did when I was in the relation, that relationship with him um, ever again. I love that. That's such a, I get it. I get it. I had a very challenging relationship in recovery. Who knew a 13 step relationship that lasted for six years was going to end poorly, (laughs) you know, and um, what a concept, what a concept. Uh, And that relationship really does. in the same way, the work I've done around that informs how I conduct myself in relationships and how I conduct myself in the world. You know, it's just like, I'll always love that person, but you know, who I was in that relationship is just not who I am anymore. And to be okay with that. It's really, I mean, I just think of some of, some of the shit that I did, I, I marvel at that person right i used to get mad at guys who wouldn't sleep with me who had girlfriends (laughs) i would be like like flirting and they're like i have a girlfriend and i'm like so like i didn't understand why someone wouldn't fuck me when they were in a committed positive healthy relationship like why it wasn't so easy for them to just be like yeah i'm gonna find someone else and i would get like annoyed i'd be like well that's dumb Ah. And I just like think about that and I'm like, oh my God, like all the people that I just like are so aggressive <laughs> in that way. Yeah. Like this poor fucking guy who's got a girlfriend he likes and this like loud drunk bitch is just <laughs> like, just like, come on, have sex with me. Like, and like that guy just being like, no, absolutely not. And, you know, God bless. I, a lot of the people that I targeted in that way were like good, honest dudes who like were true and kind and good to their partners who like didn't even entertain like flirting back. They were just like, 
no. You know, like I'm very grateful that I was paired up with, with these, you know, these, um, these instances where I was met with guys who were just like, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, did you ever get met with like a, a clueless one? I had a moment with my boyfriend where he came back from the comedy store and he was like, I was talking to this girl and we just really hit it off. We had such a like great conversation. We're going to get coffee next week. And I was like, are you telling me about going on a date with somebody else right now? And he was like, he was like, what do you mean? You wanted me to make friends. And I was like, she trying to fuck babe. (laughs) If you guys like have been chatting the whole night in a very loud place and you want to go somewhere else to like be able to hear each other. Oh my God. You dumb idiot. (laughs) I was just like, you, you. (laughs) I mean, I, I didn't, I was not met with that. I, I think I was just too blatant. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I think it, so, even somebody who had been in a box for 20 years would probably understand what was go, what I was doing, what I was trying to accomplish. Yeah. 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 I, I get it. I get it. It's uh, coming into comedy um, after really being in the rooms and like working in treatment for years and years. I, um, I was very, cause I got clean when I was 20. So I was very naive about like bars and clubs and places and how people congregate. So I've definitely also been that idiot where I'm like, oh, you're trying to fuck me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like, weird. <laughs> what, a, what? Okay. Yeah, see, I don't, <clears throat> I just didn't part too much of an overthinker. So like anytime anyone interacts with me in any way, I am immediately like, what does this mean? And that was like when Dave and I, <laughs> when Dave and I met, we had like, we'd been, you know, seeing each other around and we had mutual friends and, and I had gone to a, a show that our friend in the program had put on at uh, the fringe and Dave was also there and our friend Charlie was there and Charlie and I were going to go to swingers after mm-hmm. the the thing and just, just hang and, and eat food. And I was fresh off of a suicide attempt, like a month post, you know, trying to kill myself. And it was the first night I had gone on antidepressants and I was literally took my pill in the, my first, uh, escitalopram in the car and then went to go see the show. And, um, and we were like, we're going to go to to swingers if anyone wants to join. Because there were a bunch of people, sober people outside. And so we went and we just thought it was going to be Charlie and I. And she and I are sitting there. And then Dave walks in. And so at this point, I am just like not thinking about dudes at all. Because I had just had a part of the the, the ramp up to my attempt was a very shitty uh, date interaction with a person who was sober, um, who literally took me out on a full ass date, paid for me, and then told me he had a girlfriend at the very end. Um, just like really just shattered my spirit. Um, some of the worst dates I've ever been on have been with people in the program where I'm like, come on, man. (laughs) The funny thing was, is that our mutual, he and I's mutual friend who like knew, knew I had a crush on that guy and who was friends with that guy and knew what was going on, told him, Hey, you need to tell Katie that you have a girlfriend. Like 
before the date ever happened. He was like, you need to be honest with her because she very obviously is into you romantically. Was you he, need wait, to tell her. Is he like in a polyamorous relationship? No. He just lining you he up. He was like, I'm in an on-again, off-again relationship and we're on again. And he took full on agree. I'm like, what does your girlfriend think of the fact that you just took me to dinner at Taroni on fucking melt on a uh, Beverly, a nice Italian restaurant. You just paid for a $60 meal for both of us. You picked me up at my house that neither here nor there. But so <laughs> I was like, fuck all relations. I was just like, right. I am not like we're d- I'm done even mm-hmm. trying to, trying to pursue anybody that I'm interested in because people are just fucking stupid. So we're sitting at swingers and Charlie's having a rough time. And so, you know, we're all kind of talking and, and, you know, we talked about music and we were like vibing about Harry Nilsson and, uh, but we were just talking and then Charlie goes to the bathroom and Dave goes, do we pay for the kid? Cause Charlie's like 10 years younger than us. Uh, and I said, of course. So we split the bill. So Charlie didn't have to pay her dinner. Yeah. And then he was like, can I grab your number? And in my head, I was like, this is an AA thing. Because my brain had literally shut off. Like, mm-hmm. don't read any interaction as romantic because it's just going to fuck you up. And so I was like, oh, yeah, sure. So I gave him my number. And then as we're leaving, Charlie and I are walking because I had driven her. And she was like you should ask for his number. And I was like, oh, he gave me his number, but I'm like a hundred percent sure it's just an AA thing. And then the next day he texted me like, hey, I listened to this band. You know, I was listening to this band I thought you would like. And then I was like, wait, is this wrong? <laughs> like, is this a, a dating thing? He also straight up, he told me he thought I was a lesbian um, <laughs> when we had different swingers. So he was like kind of trying to be uh you know, Dave, Dave has a type, and I think that's a woman who will punch him. That is- <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, he just was like, well, I wanted to, like, still interact with you, but I totally didn't want you to feel uncomfortable or weird because, you know, yeah. we're in the rooms and all that. And, um, and then I had talked, I think I mentioned something about, like, an ex-boyfriend. And then <laughs> that was when he was like, cool, okay. She's straight. Like, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm not entirely straight. I'm bi, but like, you know, there's room for dicks in in my life. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, you know, that's like an uh, that. Yeah, I don't even know how we got to that. Com- that I don't know, but I love it. I feel like it was the romantic thing, or like working yeah. out your like past trauma and making current amends and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing <laughs> so, it. Hey, Hey, well, and you, you know, you've, you kind of, you, you mentioned a suicide attempt, which I think is really valuable to share just because you are in the program and you're working the steps does not mean them outside issues are not going to come for you. Um, you know, I've had to deal with suicidal ideations. I've had, you know, my, I think every sponsor I've ever had has been hospitalized for depression (laughs) at some point. Um, like what, what is your, with all of that kind of on your plate, it sounds like you're in a really good place now. Like what is your day-to-day life like? Like what's your spiritual maintenance on a day-to-day basis? 
I mean, for me, it is because I am such a future tripper and such a like past rehasher, a big part of my daily practice is just being very in today. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to make my bed and I'm going to go, okay, now what do I want? And, you know, luckily I have some freedom now with, um, you know, being unemployed, but before it was like, I had a 40 hour week job and I had three classes and I have my planner. That's why I pointed back there. Um, you know, my planner and I kind of at the beginning of the week would sit down and kind of map it all out. And I'd get up in the morning and be like, what has to happen today? Mm -hmm. And just kind of like go, okay. And then just like kind of take one step in front of the other and like going to regular meetings. And, you know, I have, I have a sponsor that I, I work with, but it's kind of like, I'm in my third time through the steps. And I feel like you kind of get, it's not, it's just not as like immediate as mm -hmm. like past going through the steps have been where I'm just like, mm -hmm. I've been on, I, I did five and, or, well, I did four. And then I was like, I want to do a sex and fear inventory. And then I never did. And then mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, okay, we're kind of here. And I just haven't like <laughs> moved, like asked her to move forward yet. But it's also like the shit that I'm working with now, like the shit that I'm working on now is far more like nitty gritty stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, I have enough tools and that like, if I don't deal with stuff right now, I'm probably okay, but like, can't get in a retrogressive groove because that's like dangerous. So like eventually, like we were talking about before, I'll hit a bottom where I'm like, either I just go fuck the fear and sex inventory, I need to move on to six or like, I'm finally going to do this writing and be done with it, you know, but I meet with my sponsor and her sponsees once a week on Zoom and um I am very lucky because literally everybody in my life that is important to me, my, you know, my parents, my boyfriend, my best friend, most of my friends are in recovery in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And so what that affords me is like an environment where when I do reach out, I'm reminded of the tools and the principles and those sorts of things. And so that spurs me to like, Oh, okay. You know what? I probably should do a gratitude list or like, Oh yeah. Like I really haven't been like actively praying. Like I turn a lot of stuff over, but like, you know, having a more, more of a daily practice kind of changes those things. Or like, how can I meditate more? It's just all like, I'm really enjoying having the tools in my, you know, in my tool belt and that like, I'm able to kind of just mm -hmm. use them a little more, um, organically than like, I'm stuck. Yeah. Call my sponsor. What do I do? Do this, do it. Ha! Me, like that's not yeah. really that way. It was like before I had a hammer and now I have a hammer hand. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't have to open the toolbox and like, look at all the tools and go like, which one do I need? It's like, ah, I have a, I have a drill. On yeah. My hand. Yeah. I get but. it. I get it. I'm, I'm very much like for me, it was in that first couple years, it was like a vending machine. You know, I'd, I'd put the, I'd put the work in the prize would come out. I'd be like, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. And then the more time you get and the more times through the steps that you're doing, like I'm in the middle of a, I'm in the middle of a six step exercise where I have to like log my fears 
and like CBT my way through the fears. My ther- my 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 sponsor is a therapist, so uh, oh. sometimes her and my therapist come up with ideas together. It feels like they're communicating telepathically to make me <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, and and so I've been doing that, and also like self acceptance journaling, like self love journaling. Look, I bought this. This is so funny. I bought a self love journal. Ooh, ooh, and ooh. I've never used it. Um, but it's <laughs> so pretty. It's so pretty. It looks again. It has that very Pinteresty look to it. It looks like the kind of thing like a perfect human would have in their life. And I will <laughs> use it. I will use it. Um, but you just keep yeah. putting it on your bedside table. Just keep put, put that pen right on top. Just have it right there, and it's eventually gonna, it's gonna be there. It's gonna be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's that wanting to move. You finally get. I had a sponsee ask me the other day. She goes, "When are you?" Su- when do you know you're supposed to work the steps again? And I, I started laughing and I babbled for a little bit because I hadn't had coffee. And then I said, <laughs> you'll know. <laughs> and she was like, what do you mean? I was like, you just know, like, you're just, you're like, it sort of feels like you have to change the water filter or something. You're just like, mm-hmm. this is grimy. That is, get a this great, off. that is a great, great <laughs> metaphor, analogy. Analogy? Analogy. 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 Well, mm-hmm. I think of my favorite thing that Caroline has ever said is um, about how they say wear your wear your sobriety like a loose garment, and it's like, but sometimes if you wear too loose a garment, like a loose robe, your boob pops out, and it's like, <laughs> is your sobriety a robe that you wouldn't wear outside? <laughs> you know? And I was like, fucking a, like, yeah. Because right now I wear my sobriety like a loose garment, you know, but retrogressive groove. Like if I fucking stop doing the work, yeah, just, my boob is going to pop out. It will pop out. It my will boob will pop, pop out. out. It's yeah, it's that's very funny. I once had a boob pop out on a date. It's like a real thing that happened. Remember when shirt like an off the shoulder shirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just goes bloop. And it just went bloop. And like, luckily I was wearing a bra, but it was still a whole lot of titty for like a first date. Um, (laughs) Very weird moment. Um, I, uh, what is your relationship with your higher power? Like you just kind of mentioned it. You're a little bit out of the groove with it. Like what, when it's pumping on all cylinders, like what's your, what's your higher power like for you? So uh, it's been a lot of different things. First, um, I very much for a long time believed in a, in like a vending machine God. Um, and then, and then it moved to like an early sobriety. It became more of a feeling of like the feeling when my friend Abe hugged me, Abe's like a big guy yeah, and, and like, like Santa Abe is what I like imagine Abe, but with like a white beard and whatever, and just giving me a hug. Like that feeling of like security and safety and warmth, like that was kind of like my higher power. And then it became more of just like a mist, like a, an energetic mist that just permeated everything. Um, and then currently I still talk to my higher power as if it's a being, but I don't believe it's a being like mm-hmm. my higher power is kind of reality as it is and it's like how can I show up in this current 
reality and do like be my best self in this with, you know, no matter what's happening right now. And, uh, so yeah, it's my, my God doesn't like reward or punish me. Mm -hmm. That's like a big thing. It's like Mm -hmm. neither direction. Right. And I think we all deserve to be happy, joyous and free. And so that's not, you know, that's not a, a gift from God. That is like everybody's fundamental right to be happy, joyous and free. And, um, so that like the big thing is just, we're, you, you mentioned this earlier, but about like how there's, you know, over time in sobriety, things just kind of level out. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, it's not like things are good, 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 or bad, bad, bad. Most days are just kind of like somewhere in the middle. Right. And that's been hard for me to deal with because I had had a, a, a vending machine God. I was like, well, I'm doing all the work. Where are my prizes? You know, and like, <laughs> and to be like, no, this life that I have is the prize. Yeah. That's what the prize is. The, the, the middling, boring, delightfully mm-hmm. mundane days. That's, that's the gift yeah. because I, <laughs> I mean, my shit was so fucked. Like days were so unpredictable in a terrible way. And like, the fact that things are, I have to stop myself from being like, oh no, the other shoe's going to drop or, you know, like, where's mine? <laughs> and instead just be like, no, no, we're kind of just this, this reality that I have is yeah, it's pretty ch- chill and cool. And the only reason it's chill and cool is because, you know, my higher power has re- removed my desire to drink. And I do the work and stay sober. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the agreement we have. (laughs) Like you keep, you keep that at bay. I won't drink or use and I'll do the work. And then uh, (laughs) whatever happens, happens. Everything kind of shakes out. That's like my higher power. Just everything kind of shaking out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We reached the end. We did. Really? We did. We have one more question. Are you ready? Okay. What is one thing you would tell somebody just like you in the world? Like me when I was drinking or me like just like me? Open-ended. Oh, shit. The ever-present you. Okay. So there's a, a woman named Florence Scovelshin, who was like a power of thought writer in the teens. Um, <clears throat> she has a, a book called the, the Game of Life and How to Play It. Lady, my mom and I are very both very into. But she has a, a line that's like, um, there's a place that you are to fill that no one else can feel, something that you are to do that no one else can do. And so that's what I want to tell myself is that I don't have to worry about doing what other people are doing. And there's a reason I'm here. So like my job is to just keep exploring that. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to put that one in my heart. I like that. Yay! I really like that. Keep it, keep it, 
in it tight in here. Deep, tight deep, in deep, here. Deep, 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 deep in here. Ugh. Oh man, without Dave here, it could get like super sickly sweet, and I love it. This is just yeah. the all sweet, no salty yeah. episode. Just like yeah, my my salty my salty boyfriend, <laughs> my delightfully salty boyfriend. It's so. I was telling Jared, he goes to this Vince meeting where all the dudes take their shirts off because they work out a lot. It's like such a weird masculine ass meeting. God, men are so weird. Dudes and are fucking weird. I said, please invite Dave. <laughs> I want to hear his experience. I mean, I mean, Dave's dead stand up at a nudist colony naked. Like, he. I know. He, I'm sure he'd probably just be like, whatever. Just a <laughs> bunch of brosifs, like, flexing on camera. <laughs> bros being dudes, just dudes being bros. Yeah. Staying sober, just dudes being bros, staying sober. Exactly. Getting gains. Getting yeah. ripped. In, back staying in the sober. day, people would <laughs> Your get, hands have to be like this. They have to be sort of karate robot, like... Up lots of the, shoulder action yeah lots of shoulder action yeah it's got to be almost like a vogue but a little like bit of a vogue, vogue. Yeah, I immediately went like this yes, that's the yes. opposite of what this is that's the opposite of this this motion um yeah back in the day guys used to just like smoke and gain weight and now they get buff and vape it's very <laughs> funny i'm like that's great good for y'all um I'm so glad I could be here to witness this parade of eye candy. <laughs> <laughs> These shirtless bros. Exactly. But you too crazy. I, I would never date you, but you too crazy. But you keep looking that way. Good. You keep, keep doing it what you're doing. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs to feel when you could do curls? You I know? <laughs> know. Just work through. Work through that. those feelings with games. I love I love it. Kitty, where can people find you so they can experience the beauty that is you online and what ah! you're doing and your business venture? I kind of want to like place an order for like, you should, you 100% should. Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram at K a Willert W I L L E R T. And then, uh, my venture is, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Katie Willert art. And, uh, I'm doing Katie kits. The first round of them is going to be released on the 1st of December. It's uh, a little care and art care package that I make for me to you. Um, I really wanted to spread joy and my art to people, um, you know, during this time through the mail. So it's got a, you know, a limited edition print stickers that I made. I bought a cricket machine that I'm very excited about. Um, so I'm going to make stickers, I'm going to make magnets, postcard, all sorts of stuff and a little note for me to you. So they're going to be $15. Um, so if you go to either my personal Twitter or the, the Katie Willard art Instagram, there is a link to sign up for an email address, like sign up your email address so that I can send you the info for the kits a little ahead of time so that you're prepared and ready to go when they drop on the first. Um, I'm very excited. They're limited, they're limited edition because I am only one woman. Um, (laughs) and you know, this is a a first time venture for me, but I'm doing, I want to do one a month and every month has a different theme. And I have a, a random word generator on the internet, pick the, pick a word as the theme. Okay. Uh, and so this month's theme is eggs. Um, (laughs) and I'm like 
super, I know it sounds so dumb, but like I was, it's like egg. And I was like, oh, I have so many ideas. So you're going to get a bunch of different random shit uh, under the theme of eggs uh, that I'm really excited about. So that's so cute. And you can uh, follow me at Anna V is fun on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow me at AnnaValenzuela.com for show dates, information on this podcast and other ventures. Um, you can also uh, find Dave at Yates Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, buy his ha ha hot sauce. I think I have to place an order for Thanksgiving um, because I'm a believer in hot sauce at Thanksgiving. Um I no longer have to, this year I don't have to go to my boyfriend's parents' house um, who literally, their their flavor profile is delicious, but it's beige. You know what I mean? I I need a spicy, I need a spicy with all my meals. Um, So place those orders, ladies and gentlemen, support Dave, support this podcast. You can find this podcast at uh, 12Q pod on Twitter and Instagram and Gmail. Um, you know, for those of you listening on Unpops who have sent Adam uh, messages uh, about how you like our podcast, please tell your friends. The same thing with, um, you know, if you've sent messages to us, like tell your friends, tell your family. I really want to get a Patreon started where we put the videos up of these. Um, Perhaps we'll put them up on YouTube first so you can get a taste of, like, you get unwashed, unkempt Anna just fucking yelling into a screen, vaping at the same time. Like, trust (laughs) me, it is a scene. You get to see my cat's butthole sometimes. It's great. Um, But we really want to get this out to more people. And, um, you know, the the market is now flooded uh, with both podcasts and recovery podcasts. And we've been doing this thing since 2015. So, you know, jump on board to the OG, bring your friends, tell your friends, tell your family, hide your wife, you know, do whatever you got to do. So, yeah, how we end this podcast every time is Katie, if nobody's told you this today, I love you. I love you too. (laughs) And if you're listening to this today and nobody's told you this guys we love you thanks we for love listening you so much yes hugs 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 hugs